The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop writing that CRM system in IL and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 127, with guests Joel Pobar and Brad Abrams, recorded live Friday, August 19, 2005. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VB.NET and ASP.NET classes remotely, online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET developers, online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who stopped watching CNN because it wasn't technical enough, Carl Franklin. Thank you, thank you very much, and welcome to show number 127 of .NET Rocks. I can't believe it's been that long. And uh, here, as always, my co-host on the west coast of Canada, Richard Campbell. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm past my halfway mark. I'm excited. Yeah. The sad part is that the 50 is going to hit on the road show. In the middle of the road show, I get to go home, I guess. <laughs> so speaking of the road show, let's talk about that. Uh, it's actually called the road trip. We, we decided to call it a road trip. I don't know why. Just road trip sounds more fun than road show. And it is a road show, but, but you know, the, the trip itself is going to be, the, you know, the big thing, right? It is also a road trip. Yeah, so if you click on, if you go to .nerocks.com slash road trip, uh, or you click on the, the picture of you and I hanging out of the RV on our website at .nerocks.com, <laughs> you'll, you'll see uh, the official page for the road trip. The details are filling in as we get them, but um, since we uh, last talked about it, We've added a couple of new venues. We originally were going to Jacksonville on October 22nd, the Saturday. That's been changed to Orlando. We decided to make the trip all the way down to Orlando. Also, uh, Don XML, Don uh, Demsack, uh, noted that while we're going from New York to Philly on the weekend of October 14th, Friday, October 14th, uh, we're going to be in New York that Friday in Philly in the, in, on the 17th on Monday, He's doing a, a code camp in New Jersey, which just happens to be in between New York and Philly. Right on the way. On that Saturday and Sunday, so we thought we would stop at the code camp and make another appearance there. 
Also, we um, we're ending in San Francisco at the launch. Now we're not doing an event at the launch because the launch is the event, right? But we are going to be at the launch, and we are going to be recording a show, uh, and we'll be recording a show in every city. So we're going from the launch down to Dev Connections in Las Vegas, which is also a launch event, and we'll be doing a show there on November tenth. I'm I'm never going home, am I? So that brings the whopping total of events that we're doing to uh, minus the minus San Francisco, but the cities that we're visiting to twenty. Yikes! What are we thinking? I don't know. I blame you. So the 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 schedule is as follows: on October twelfth, Boston, Hartford, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington D.C., Raleigh, Atlanta, Orlando, Nashville, Memphis, Dallas. Houston, Austin, Phoenix, San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Las Vegas. And if we haven't mentioned your city, I'm horrified to tell you, it looks like we're going to do a tour in the spring for everybody else. But we're still trying to find a source of funding for that. Yeah. Because uh, our, our original funding that we were going to go through uh, didn't work out, right, for the spring tour? We may have a few surprises for you. I'm not sure. We'll stay tuned and and we'll we'll be talking about that soon. As if this wasn't enough, this endless road show, we've all agreed now. It's uh, it's official that we're going to speak at Vbug 2005 in uh, in the UK. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I know you started on this and I finally committed to it as well. It's the 23rd to 24th of November. Uh, in reading at the Microsoft campus, and uh, I'll be there. You'll be there. We're going to do a DNR as well as some regular talks. And a Mondays. And, yeah, well, Mark Miller's going to be there, isn't he? That's right. So you put Mark, me, and you together in one room, and you pretty much are going to get a Mondays one way or the other. It's just a question of whether you record it or not. And you throw in some warm beer and Gary Stanley, and oh my God, anything could happen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so in another thing that we should talk about is the PDC. Oh, yes, the, the PDC. The PDC, what we want to do, and of course we haven't finalized this, we're in the process of it, but what we want to do is, uh, what we think we're going to do is three events, right? Right. The first one will be a game show called the 64-Bit Question. We're going to do it live. We need contestants for the game show. So if you want to be a contestant, uh, you're going to be at the PDC. It's going to be on Monday the 12th. Uh, do we have a time yet? I don't think we have a time nailed no. down. Okay. Um, but we're going to be doing a game show live. So if you want to be a contestant, you've got to get with us beforehand and send an email to .netrocks at franklins.net and uh, let us know you're interested in doing that. And after that, we're going to be interviewing two other people. Uh, we're doing two interview shows at the PDC, and sh- and then and then those are going to be the shows for the next two weeks. So following that, we're we're going to the MVP Summit. We're going to interview Miguel Castro at the MVP Summit. So we're like definitely like more on the road than we're not on the road in these last few months of 2005. Well, the whole fall is just going to be traveling shows nonstop. It's be one big road trip. So, all right. Finally, before we bring on Joel and Brad. Uh, I want to read this email, Richard, that we got from Jay Bonney. And that, uh, Jay is just the letter J, first initial, and then Bonnie. Uh, this is all we know of this person's name. But this is a great email. I want to read it. Subject, road trip, or how DNR saved me from Linux. <laughs> 
Carl, I just RSVP'd for the New York City DNR stop of the upcoming road trip on October 14th. I've been listening to the show for over a year, starting just about when the show is at its maximum length with close to 45 minutes of bits and segments. Remember that, Richard? Yes, I do. I was one of those bits. It was a lot of fun, and I have to say that the world is certainly a saner, maybe duller place without Google weirdos. Well, we we totally agree. (laughs) While mine may not be a bona fide .NET success story, I thought it was worth mentioning just the same. DNR has certainly helped move my professional career in a new direction. Here goes. I had been a company man for close to 15 years with the same firm since college. My skills were in homegrown real-time database systems built on VMS and Alpha. Cool. Yeah. Having become a hands-on development manager... I found myself able to direct projects based upon my experience with getting things done in the company and my knowledge of our proprietary systems. Then, just after the dot-com bust, my company decided to close down our development team in Stamford, Connecticut. Ouch. Yeah. I was in a tough spot. Being weak on the hot skills of the day, I needed to dive in and get some, some marketable skills. .NET was pretty new, and Java open source looked like a good alternative. I decided to go open source and started building my standard prototype project, a golf league database system in Perl, MySQL on Apache Linux. A few months in my spare time and I had launched a website uh, and it was a hit. I developed it at home on Red Hat Linux and deployed it on the internet for dirt cheap. It ported easily to Linux Hoster, actually running uh, a different distribution. Uh, And he's got an exclamation point there. And uh, so apparently he was very proud of that fact, I guess. I don't know. As luck would have it, I was uh, hired. He said unlaid, but I don't know. This is a family show, right? We can't say unlaid here. And I got a new role as a development manager of a new team in 2003. The group was doing VB6 and Access database projects. My immediate goal was to get the team working better together and to encourage development standards and good methods of work. At about this time, I started carpooling with a friend once a month for a 60-minute trip each way. He was a Microsoft developer and was listening to your shows. He talked about how good .NET was and would tell me about his projects, so I eventually had to check it out and started listening to the show. I now have the .NET Rocks and .NET Bug and have used DNR as a key resource for finding out about new trends and tools. I've dug into .NET Nuke because of the show, and have now ported the golf database system to DNNv3, and it is hosted at www.walkspoiled.com slash pgc. Cool. Yeah, it's a cool site. My experiences from the show have helped me learn about the patterns and practices tools, MSDN events, code camps, and so much more. The resources that I have obtained have helped me solve real problems at work and have helped provide some key .NET options to our development team. One time I had a developer doing an ASP.NET project, and he was having trouble getting some things to work. A quick spin-up of an MSDN disk with some webcasts, and we had an easy walkthrough of the solution. During this code review, I found out that the developer didn't have ASP.NET training and was coding in the classic ASP style. It was time for some training and mentoring, which, by the way, Richard, is totally possible with ASP.NET. It's very forgiving if you just want to, like, angle bracket your way around uh, and use angle bracket percent equals to output. It doesn't make it a good idea, but yeah, <laughs> you can good, do it. Yeah, not a good idea, but it's possible. 
My team has now deployed four internal ASP.NET web applications that produce monthly metrics and statistics that help drive our business. We are eagerly awaiting the release of .NET 2.0 and are starting to ramp up now. With the help of resources like .NET Rocks, the user groups, and code camps, I will certainly have fun at the same time. Look forward to seeing you in October. Jay Bonney. Isn't that great? Great story. Excellent story. Yeah, and uh, you know we sort of forget that we have that impact on people. For to us, we're just having fun and geeking out, right? It's true. It's true. All right. Well, anyway, keep sending those emails to .netrocks at franklins.net. All right. On to the main event, the main attraction this afternoon. Enough of these piddly little cartoons. Let's get to the the feature presentation. Uh, our guests today are Joel Pobar and Brad Abrams. Let me tell you about them. Joel Pobar is a program manager in the Common Language Runtime CLR team. He shares his time between late-bound dynamic CLR features like reflection, lightweight code generation, code DOM, and delegates, the shared source CLI, Rotor, uh, generics, and dynamic languages. He is active in the .NET community, spending his spare time writing blog entries and articles. His prior job experience includes research positions at the Queensland University of Technology, very cool, Programming Languages and Systems Research Center, delving into web services and compiler technologies, consulting and application development related operations with local technology companies, and systems and networking engineering at various Australian internet service providers. Cool. Not a bad little resume there. Brad Abrams was founding member of both the Common Language Runtime and .NET Framework teams at Microsoft Corporation, where he is a currently lead program manager and has been designing parts of the .NET Framework since 1998. Brad started his framework design career building the BCL, the base class library that ships as a core part of the .NET Framework. Brad was also the lead editor on the Common Language Specification, CLS, the .NET Framework Design Guidelines, and the libraries in the ECMA slash ISO CLI standard. Brad has been involved with the WinFX and Longhorn efforts from their beginning. His primary role is ensuring that the consistency and developer productivity of the .NET Framework continues through Longhorn and beyond. Brad co-authored Programming in the .NET Environment and was editor on .NET Framework Standard Library Annotated Reference, Volume 1 and Volume 2, which is to be published at this point. Brad graduated from North Carolina State University in 1997 with a BS in computer science. Find his recent musings on his blog at blogs.msdn.com slash Brad A. Welcome, Joel and Brad. Thanks a lot. Wow. <laughs> we, you know, it's very not very often that Richard and I feel, we're not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've got an inflated self-ego now. I mean, I actually should turn to Brad and say, Brad, where's my raise? Show me the money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's pretty awesome. I never, I never heard your bio before, Joel. That's, that's good stuff. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it is actually pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> it's amazing when you stop and think about the formalities of what you do day to day. Yeah, all the stuff you've done, yeah. Hearing Carl read it, I, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it should go into the business of bio-reading. So when you go to the website, you get this little MP3 that automatically gets embedded in your page. And Brad Aiden, oh, this was awesome. a founding member of both, right? <laughs> Autobiorreading.com. I'm going to reserve that one right now. Joel, you're up in, in Redmond now, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sunny so are you, are you, have you immigrated? Have you moved permanently? Is it just a temporary thing? Uh, no, I've, um, I've, you know, hooked up with a H-1B visa and I'm now a permanent part of your country, at least until you kick me out, so... <laughs> Now, remember, I'm a Canadian, so I'm not part of this loop. That's right. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. No, no, it's, 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 uh, came over here, uh, actually 2002 for, for a few months and, and worked in California for a while and then, uh, came back to work for Microsoft in, in Redmond, uh, I guess early 2003. So, yeah, so, it's been good so far. So now, Don't guys. constantly makes fun of, uh, of my country, though, so that's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> You know, America really is the whipping boy of from other countries. I mean, we, people just love to criticize America. Yeah, yeah. It's the well, well, the thing is that you guys um, you take it really easily. Well, we uh, also criticize ourselves, right? And we're pretty exactly. open about it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because as soon as I go back into my country, I mean, I might not sound like it now, but um, I've got a slight American tinged accent, mm-hmm. and as soon as I get back home. Oh, unbelievable. My parents, <laughs> my friends, they, oh, it's all, it's all over. Well, it's, it, you're, in a t- you're in the same situation I'm in. When I'm in America, they say I sound like a Canadian. When I'm in Canada, they say I sound like an American. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, right. you guys have no homes anymore. <laughs> no home. Yeah, we, our, our friends are shrinking you know, around the world. I, I, had, I went to dinner with a guy in Montreal who, with a bunch of people, actually, but this, uh, uh, when I was up at DevTeach, this guy from Montreal took us to dinner. You know, he's very very excited to be able to show us around the city and stuff. And then uh, took a friend of mine and I to dinner and, and proceeded to just completely dump on the country. You know, it was great. Yeah. I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong with your screwed up country. <laughs> <laughs> How to win friends and influence people. Did I mention this guy was French? All right. So anyway, let me just start off by saying, that this whole topic of stuff that happens in the CLR, the common language runtime, um, you know, the, the number of people who appreciate this kind of technical information is small relative to the number of people who are writing software uh, with .NET. Yeah, that's, that's the way we want it. You know, we, we provide this plumbing benefit and your life just gets easier and you didn't even know we were here. I totally agree. Um, but, you know, this next version of... Uh, of .NET is really getting some nice high-level tools in Visual Studio, and it's sort of coming out of the uh, the world of geekiness into the world of mainstream business applications for a lot wider audience. And so if there are people out there that you wanted to talk to, and you had to answer the question, why, why should you care about what's going on in the CLR? What's your answer to that? Either one of you guys. Hmm. Well, I mean, seriously, I mean, the top-level answer is still going to be, you know, the average developer doesn't need to know. We want to be transparent. We want uh, apps to just get easier to write, uh, the applications to get faster and more secure, because we improve the very core of the system. Okay. Um, that said, there's always a handful of core geeks, and I think that, that, it, that um, that's a large portion of your audience, yes. is core geeks, yep. that are the go-to guys in the company, Yeah. Uh, that when somebody has a problem or somebody needs something about .NET, they go to that person. Uh, those people do need to understand what's really going on under the covers, kind right. of take the veil away and really understand what, 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 what the magic really is. Now, would you say these core geeks are more doing sort of system-level things, more components, more... 
you know, plumbing kind of uh, level, middle level kind of things, whereas application developers are, are, are not necessarily needing to be yeah, in the know? What I find is that in, in um, product, in um, teams, in like IT groups and even in ISVs, there's always a few people that are building kind of shared infrastructure yeah. that, you know, if it's part of an app, then it's the rest of the app's going to use, or if it's part of a, a system, it's what the rest of the system ends up using. Right. But they're, they're building the shared pieces, and those are typically your, your people. That's a great way to think about this. Yeah. I mean, it's also the, the, the people that originally um, knew, loved, and were really passionate about Win32 and, and uh, you know, how the operating system works and things right. like that. I mean, this is really just another opportunity for them to go geek out completely on essentially you know, a new virtual machine, which could replace their old passion, which was an operating system. So. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you love the Win32 API, you ought to love the CLR. It's right. only more and better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we've talked about the CLR a little bit with Jeff Richter, and, and it's been a long time really since that we've even talked to him. And before that, I can't even remember what we've talked about. Maybe when we were talking with Don Box, you know, he sort of uh, wrote a book called uh, Essential.net inside the CLR, which, which is, was my Bible for learning, you know, what was going on in there. And, uh, but other than that, we really haven't talked too much about it. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you, you, let's go back to the genesis of, of .NET, Brad, where, and I know you were there, and uh, sort of a form, you know, the guy who formed the CLR team. You guys did a lot of research uh, into Java specifically, and I know that you spent a long time researching Java, figuring out what you liked about it and what you didn't like about it. And, uh, you, you know, just as a sort of an aside, I, I often hear people say, you know, this is just Java for, you know, Microsoft's version of Java. But there are a lot of things actually about Java that you, you did not choose to implement. Um, yeah. What, what, was that, uh, what was that process like? Well, it, it's interesting to think, you know, way back when. I mean, uh, uh, it, it doesn't... In some ways, it doesn't seem like that far ago, but um, you got to think that you know at the time Microsoft was pushing this uh, Win DNA thing, right? Um, and we were talking about how uh, virtual machines would never work and never scale and never be um, kind of um, mainstream. And then at the same time, there was this tiny group of uh, of people off working on what would later become the CLR um, and other related technologies. So it was kind of a an interesting time to be at the at the company. Yeah. Um, and and we did like you said we, you know obviously we we um looked at java was having some good success in the market so we were looking at them but we we also were looking at lisp and um perl and cobol and a bunch of other yeah. um programming languages we hired a, a guy from the scheme community so um and then not to mention we we were what the other thing we were motivated by is just kind of cost of doing business. You know, we had, uh, t- we were building our own VM, Java VM at the time. Mm-hmm. We had a group of people off building a, a, a equivalent of a VM for Visual Basic. The mm-hmm. C runtime guys had a bunch of people working on the C runtime libraries. The comm team was out working on improving the comm libraries. <laughs> so at some point, somebody said, hey, why are we doing this, you know, all these little projects? Why don't we put them together in one big project? Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's this guy, uh, Mike Tatongi. Uh, he said, "Look, I can save the company a lot of money if you help me put these things put these things together. We build one one runtime, and uh, and it'll be a lot better. And invest all our engineering effort." And we actually did take and move the 
Um, one thing that's interesting about watching Microsoft is watch where the heavy hitters move. Watch where the kind of big, um, the kind of higher end people move, and and that's what we did. We moved them all out of those teams onto this common team and uh, and built this, the CLR. Wow. And it, I mean, the funny thing is that these languages all really do similar things. Building and displaying a form, communicating to a database, communicating out into the world. It's the same job. Yeah. Just yep. a different language. Absolutely. So um, where where did Anders Heilsberg come in uh, in terms of, I know he has a lot to do with the language, C-sharp, he invented that, but uh, yeah. would, you know, d- did the architecture of Delphi come into play at that point as well? In the in Yeah, the- you know, obviously Anders' history is he, he comes from the, from the Pascal world uh, generally and, and, uh, and then Borland most directly before coming to Microsoft. Um, and he brought all that wealth of, you know, experience with him. Um, and it, primarily, it, this, I think the C-sharp language is the easiest thing to see, but, you know, actually during most of the .NET Framework early development, he was on the .NET Framework team. Yeah, I, that's what I was asking, really. So he had a lot of effect on the library design and kind of how we, how we played with that. Um, and then he had some effect, too. He kind of participated in some of the CLR key design decisions as well. Wow. Was C-sharp always intended to be against the CLR, or was it already something fomenting that got brought to the CLR? Yes. CLR, uh, C-sharp was the only language that was always meant to be on the CLR. Hmm. Uh, C++ and VB, we... we retrofit. Uh, my, my team, the CLR team, always intended them to be on the CLR, but they, we had lots of discussions internally about kind of how you know, when the right time to do that would be and how much to, to jump in big time. All right, so i got to ask this question, too, uh, for our friend Chris Sells, who now works yeah. with you guys. Oh, yeah. So when, he, when you guys were, were doing this, he had some job experience, and uh, Development Mentor, I guess, played a, a role in sort of helping you, uh, you know, at that point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, there was a list going around, and, and he was one of the guys who was complaining about the lack of a dispose kind of mechanism, and he, yeah. and he proposed that you guys do that. And uh, there's some question as to whether he's, he is... Uh, responsible for that or was it just a lot of people that he happened to be vocal about <laughs> um he you know i think if i think of the so we we the very first design meeting um that i can remember kind of formal design meeting that i can remember on the clr team was about this issue um yeah. the next one was about edit and continue yeah, oh really uh, which which wow. funnily enough we didn't get in until we'd be so it's taken a while isn't that <laughs> oh, awesome yeah. isn't that awesome that you know you go from like low level memory management to a, a programmer feature an idea yeah. well feature. that programmer feature i mean that's a whole show in and of itself how edit and continue works I, but I that is huge. a rocket science feature i, I know I got, go. yeah i got um, that impression when we talked to paul vick last year and he said oh, yeah. it was the hardest thing that they ever ever did yeah absolutely but anyway, so the very first design meeting was on deterministic finalization. There was some people from the COM group uh, and, some, and the guy that wrote our garbage collector, Patrick DeSoud, and we had a very heated discussion about whether the CLR was going to use a reference counting model or whether it was going to use a garbage collection model. Right. And it couldn't that use was, both. Was that out? Yeah, that was sort of, I think most people agreed that was sort of out because you kind of pay, you get the penalty of both without re- really reaping the benefit. Okay. Yeah. Penalty of both without the benefit of either. Right, exactly. So in some senses, you know, the debate wasn't a new one to us. Um, You know, we have been having it, we had been having it internally, but what was 
what I think Chris added, and um, I also would would put um, Jeff Richter in that camp too, is uh, really bringing some empirical data to the table about yeah. problems that that people are are having, um, and I think that. We had convinced ourselves we didn't that we were going to go down the garbage collection route, and we didn't need to do anything else. And I do think that they pushed us over the edge into adding the disposable pattern that we have, doing the using support. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, one of the kind of very important moments in the history of the development of the CLR is when Brian Harry sent his response on the ter- deterministic finalization thing. And I actually, to, to the .NET list, and I think you can still go find that. Maybe um, we'll find a link to that. Yeah, it's actually on, it's on my blog, so I can send you a link later. All right, great. Um, the, that, that mail kind of, in fact, I just looked at it not six months ago, and it is still it's very applicable to, to understand kind of why we're making the decisions that we're making. Yeah, let me ask both of you guys this, and I think this is what you're about to answer, Joel. What if you had it to do over again, and maybe you do have it to do over again in CLR 2.0, but maybe you don't, what would you do differently in terms of memory management? Because obviously you're making some assumptions, and whenever you make assumptions, somebody somewhere is going to need to do something opposite that. Do you want to well, go? Well, you, you want to go first, Brad? Or? Um. Man, I, I would I could totally go write a book on what I would do different. I mean, overall, I'm super <laughs> proud of this platform, but um, I feel so much smarter now than when we started. Right. Um, you know, I, I would. We should have thought of the. We we should have. We could have done more in the development to think about the deterministic finalization issue earlier. Um, and there, the disposed patterns is is a good one, um, but it's complicated in a couple of respects, especially in complex inheritance hierarchies, uh, it gets complicated. They, they, so there are some things we could have done, added some methods to object, for example, yeah. to handle some of this. Um, that, that frankly, I mean, it was too late when Brian sent his, his mail right before we shipped uh, V1, uh, and it's certainly kind of too late to do that now. So you're saying this mail that Brian sent was uh, sort of, you know, okay, this is fine, but here are some things that you need to understand. Is that... Right. He, yeah, here's why... Essentially, he said, here's why we can't just go add deterministic finalization. Oh, okay. Here are the issues you might, that you might not know about. And, and they were... I mean, it was... Brian was the, um, was the development manager for the team, so it's a very dense kind of technical sort of uh, response to the issue. And uh, Joel, how about you? Well, I kind of... Yeah, I kind of followed Brad's logic there. I mean, I, I think we could have done a little more in the de- deterministic finalization space, especially for the, the C++ guys. Well, uh, what exactly does that mean? I mean, do you mean you you want to have some sort of hybrid system? Or, or I mean, Chris Sells actually wants to put reference counting in the CLR. He's he's petitioned you guys to do that. Uh, has he Is he still saying that? I don't and, know if he's still saying that. I mean, Brad, do you know if... So, yeah, you know, he actually that? did, uh, just a little plug here for Rotor, he actually did a Rotor project. He, right. We actually have the source code for the CLR available. Anybody can just pick it up. Um, and he did. He picked it up, and he added reference counting to it. Um, and, you know, I think he... As a weekend project, right? Yeah, it's a weekend project. Oh, yeah, the weekend project. Yeah, it actually took him a little bit more than a weekend to go do it. Um, but Joel can tell the story. He, he added a new IL instruction, so he can tell you about doing that. 
Um, but anyway, uh, Chris convinced himself that it's, it, it is doable, but that the issues are more complex and subtle, and especially performance and okay. the impact on the overall system just for having it uh, was, was affected. So, Would you say that some systems lend themselves better to reference counting and some better to uh, non-deterministic finalization? Or is it pretty much across the board, all would be better with non-deterministic? Yeah, it, here, the, the way I think about it is if you have a constrained system where you know all the moving parts, you know, like you're not going to load any third-party code, you're not going to use anybody else's component, you're going to write all the code yourself, you're not going to leverage the OS. Got it. Then you can write your own memory manager, and it can be better than the GC. So, sure. for example, I was talking to a guy, and, you know, he said, look, my data comes in in 32-bit chunks, and I process it and push it back out in 32-bit chunks. That's just how it works. Right. Uh, you know, for him, he'd be better off with, right, kind of with his own custom memory management technique. Well, and he could, he could be using C++, right, in mixed mode? Yes. Yeah, so he could. It's just a little bit more work to go do that. But, right. yeah, he could. There's other things that we aren't even really considering, like the, um, in terms of the benefits of uh, the generational GC that we have, and yeah. I think that's a kind of a key thing, right? I mean, um, reference counting versus like uh, the different types of you know generational garbage collectors and and all that kind of thing. But I think the big positive with the at least our generational garbage collector is that the three generations, the first generation usually aligns with the processor's L2 cache. So oh, interesting. Can, so you can basically collect all your memories, you know, stash it in one contiguous chunk, and uh, upon execution, when the processor actually goes to reference that data, bam, it's right there on L2. Hmm. You, don't, you don't pay the price of, um, of going out to the bus, which is kind of really neat. But, of course, you pay the cost, of course, when you do actual generational garbage collection, where we have to actually do the, the mark sweep and compact thing. So we yeah. go and you know, toss everything out of L, uh, Generation 0, um, promote it to Gen 2, have to compact it. You, you pay a cost right. um, there. But on the other side, again, I mean, there's another you know, memory allocation is you know, nearly free. I mean, it's very, very quick because we, we have this pointer in memory, and it, the pointer is, hey, this is where you can next allocate your, um, your chunk, and away it goes. So the cost is really low for allocation, and compacting, you, you pay a bit of a cost there, but then you get the L2 benefit. You see where I'm going with sure, it? Sure, yeah. It's a trade-off. There's a whole host of things that are really interesting. And to be honest, um, when I, before I even came here, I, I kind of thought, well, this is really cool stuff. I'd love to go and, and take a look at this. But after coming here, I know that we've got this like uber smart guy, Patrick. He's a senior architect on the team. I mean, he's been doing garbage collectors for what, 20, 30 years, Brad? Yeah, I can't least. even remember. I mean, he's, he's been doing it for the Lisp community and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, he wrote majority of the code. And, well, guess what? I mean, it's, I think in terms of the amount of effort it would actually take to go and, you know, implement your own garbage collector, you may as well just use ours because plenty right. of menus and plenty of smart thought has gone into it to make it as generic and as quick as possible. Not to mention, it just keeps getting better. You know, I was just in Patrick's office the other day, and he's working on making the thing uh, run better on multi-core machines, on, you know, 32-way machines, and and that kind of scale out. uh, It's just going to keep getting better. I think there's there's one thing. I mean, my personal um, gripe, you asked, you know, what could we have done to make it better? But I think the whole value type, reference type thing. Yeah. 
is a little, I mean, it's a little complex and, and um, a little, I hate to use the word busted because it's not that busted, <laughs> but um, I think we could have done some work there to make that a little bit easier. I, I like to think there are three classes of types, value type, reference type, and string. <laughs> I like it. Yes, you like to treat string as a value type, don't you? What's up with string? It's it's a reference type that thinks it's a value type. Yeah, yeah. It's an yeah. immutable reference type. Well, that sure, has special yeah, language support. It, it's very it's it's hard for you know if you try to learn the difference between the two, you just sort of have to leave string for the last you know appendix. Okay, now we'll talk about string, right? <laughs> So you, did you hear what we've done in NGen around strings, frozen strings? No, first of all, no, I haven't. And let's define NGen. And by the way, let, let's let's consider the fact that maybe it doesn't even work. Folks, do yourself a favor and check out our friend's Data Dynamics website, datadynamics.com, makers of activereports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for uh, Windows Forms and ASP.NET. Very nice stuff. You compile the, uh, the reports right into your application, ship them with your assemblies. Uh, has all the great features you come to expect in a reporting engine. And you can use uh, ActiveX controls right in the reports, too. So, great stuff. Uh, Data Dynamics has been an excellent sponsor of .NET Rocks uh, for a long time. They, uh, you know, they deserve a little bit of uh, your love and attention. So, go check them out at www.datadynamics.com. Okay, we gotta um, go into that. Yeah, I'll we gotta go. In, we gotta go into that because the empirical evidence for me in te- testing NGen, which basically makes native images that uh, that sort of pre-jit or pre-compile and then load directly into memory. Um, what I mean by work is, uh, does it actually s- save time? Does it yeah. does it actually make things faster? It really has. not done that uh, well the real question is what scenarios is it going to benefit in we, we yeah they're not obvious scenarios yeah, in my scenarios it didn't do anything didn't didn't really? speed up anything is this uh one one or two oh this is one one okay um well i mean ngen is really if, if you if you're looking for kind of faster startup time and um you know reduced working set then i think ngen is going to to you know, help you out there, especially if you. And basically, Engine removes the JIT completely. You don't have to invoke the JIT. The JIT brings with it about 200k worth of working set. Right. Just to define working set, that's the amount of memory an application kind of consumes. Right. So it doesn't bring that 200k worth of working set with it. Nor does it have to spend time actually taking the IL and uh, going going and kind of transforming that to x86 or x64. Right. 
It does have to load it in. Doesn't it still do the security checks or no? Uh, for the for the JIT compiler? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I think in, at least in yeah. two R, I don't believe it does. But yeah, I mean, it still does. It does some set of the checks at engine time. Right. Yeah. It could actually uh, verify at that time. And then it, yeah, there's some checks that can't happen at it, it, at, at compile time that right. it still doesn't. Right. And of course, other code that depends on it that isn't JIT, it still has to JIT. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the, the benefit we see, the, 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 the other problem that we saw in one one is that we, we uh, had parts of the image still in IL and some in, in the engine image, so we still ended up loading both images. So, in fact, okay. if, you, if you look, you'll see two copies of MS Corelib, uh, for example, because it's engined. And so one of the big things we did in, in Widby was make that be only one copy, and that really yeah. helps your... Oh, okay. And and is all of the I think you just answered this, but are all the framework uh, assemblies end uh, gen or just some of them? Uh, most of them are. Okay. So the the rationale for where you shouldn't engine is actually pretty pretty interesting to understand. If you're writing a, a high throughput app like a, a server type app, when what you need is raw throughput, then you actually shouldn't engine it because hmm. you actually probably don't care so much about working set and you don't care so much about startup time. What you care about is requests per second. Right. And it turns out that to get the magic of engine to work, we need to put some indirections in. Hmm. Uh, and with JIT, we can, we can just kind of spit exactly the instructions we need that, with no, no fix-ups needed. So hmm. raw throughput, even in uh, .NET Framework 2.0, uh, raw throughput, you'll be better off not engining. It's really the load time that we're, we're saving, right? Yeah, it's load time and working set. That's yeah. right. Interesting. These are fun constraints to deal with in development. It depends on your project as to which right. things are going to be more important to you. Performance right. is not just number of instructions executed in a given second. Yeah. Right. How much memory you ate, how much I.O. you executed around it, and so forth. Those things matter, too. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. One other thing on engine I just want to mention is we're working on, uh, not, we don't quite have a, a shift plan yet, but... One thing we're really missing out of the engine scenario is um, profile-based optimization so that we can actually reorder the basic blocks of the engine image based on actual usage scenarios. So the parts of your classes and methods that you use a lot will be early on in the image and together on pages, and that reduces the number of page uh, misses. Hmm. Haven't I seen technology like this from the Office team? Yeah, so Office uses this, and in fact, we use this internally, and we're working on a plan to get that hmm. get that going. Out to us regular mortals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'd be cool. All right, here's another question I got to ask you guys. Code access security. Is this like the great feature that nobody ever uses? <laughs> am, so, I far, am I far off base here? No, it, it, is a, it is a cool, it, it's a cool feature, and I think it's one of the cool benefits of the CLR that you can, if your scenario demands, run in a, in a semi-trusted environment. And that's really important for some scenarios. And by the way, I, just let me say I agree with you. I, I think it's an incredibly important. But yeah. let's get back to the issue of, you know, adoption. Yeah. Well, it's also the most misunderstood, right? Okay, go ahead, Joel. Well, I, I, my personal, I, I actually don't, um, you know, my world is very much kind of command line compiler based and language design sort of stuff. But um, from my experiences, when I go to the, you know, go visit customers, go to these code camps and things like that, um, 
Tone access security gets ragged on quite a lot. And I've not really heard any kind of justification for it other than, hey, it's a pretty complicated and there's there's way too many dials kind of thing Uh, (laughs) i have a sort of a pet theory about this and it's just the reason that you see that is because it's completely against the programmer's nature to put restrictions on himself right you know why would any programmer in their right mind want to reduce what they can do with their tool set instead of you know add more functionality to their tool set yeah that's essentially what you have to do it just yep. goes against it's it's like an anti ego thing, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> I should be able to do this. Yeah, it's it's wear your seatbelt in the Ferrari. That's what it is, you know. It's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. that man, you know. <laughs> but you know, all developers want to operate under administrator accounts, right? Right. You know, instinctually, they eventually learn that you know seatbelts in Ferraris do things useful. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you notice the guys that are professional race drivers and do it for a living, they wear these big five-point um, seat belts, right? They're That's serious right, yeah. about it. That's right. And the helmet and the gloves and the Nomex suit. And it takes an army to get them out of the car. There's a reason for this. Yeah, exactly. exactly. People are like, give me more safety gear. The, the professionals are, are all for the safety gear. Yeah. Okay, CLR 2.0. What's the coolest thing you like about this? Joel. Oh, well, there's a, I mean, the list is endless, right? The coolest. If you had to pick one cool, coolest feature. Uh, well, it would have to be a toss-up between uh, the token handle resolution stuff in reflection and the new relaxed delegate support. Okay, let's talk about those. Okay. <laughs> so token handle resolution. So the, I, I think this, the, the actual reason why I like this one so much is kind of it's a, a little pet project of uh, that, that's really close to my heart. So um, it went in kind of late, and and uh, we worked hard to kind of get it in there and, and get the design and, and all that kind of thing up and running for it. But um, essentially, the crux of token handle resolution is that um, you can now control the reflection member info cache. I'll delve into that a, a, ah. a little detail. Um, in version 1.0 and 1.1, the yeah. whenever you called type.get methods or you know type.get fields mm-hmm. to go and reflect over a particular type, we would in the background in unmanaged code uh, instantiate a reflection cache. And what we would do, our cache policy essentially was, uh, if you call say type.get method which is the non-plural, or mm-hmm. the plural, we would egregiously go out and um, look at every member on that particular type, and then we cache it. So if you only wanted one member, we'd actually, in the background, go and get every member on are that you, particular ouch. type. Now, are you getting those asynchronously, or you know, after you return and returning back, after you just return the information needed, or is it a synchronous process? It's a synchronous process. Ooh. But uh, the, the point is that... Um, uh, this cache, of course, was is kind of. I mean, if you're only up to one member, why should I sacrifice a bit of working set right. uh, for reflection to go out and get everything um, that it expected you would um, otherwise get? Hmm. So that cache, and this is this is kind of the you know smoke smoke and mirrors thing, would never actually go away. It. Um, Ooh. Yeah. So, so caches that don't go away. Caches that don't go away. I mean, that's pretty. That policy isn't all that good, right? I mean, yeah. the cache policy on that is. Yeah, last time I looked, caches that didn't go away were called memory. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not exactly a cache. No, it's, 
I mean, it, it really isn't all that bad. I mean, for the for the average scenario, you you won't see this um, prop up anywhere. But if you're kind of doing a lot of reflection, like um, tool-based reflection and you know, say object browser type thing, you, you can very much like after a while uh, run into this particular problem. It becomes a lot of baggage. It does, yeah. I, I could see a certain kind of app that that you know wants to work and play well with others, and is going out and touching all these different bits, building up this baggage. Right, exactly. So what we did in two, I always went, well, you know, that's that's kind of sucky, right? So, um, and it was actually a push from the Avalon team. They came and said to us, "Hey, look, guys, you know, this is craziness," and we're like, "Yeah, I know, this is this is kind of crazy." So we rewrote reflection essentially. Um, from unmanaged code into managed code, which now means that the cache and everything that Reflection does is um, GC heap allocated, Mm. which means now, of course, that the cache can go away, um, basically via the the GC. Do you get a two-pay performance penalty because it's managed? It's it's kind of interesting because we, we changed the way the cache works in the sense that if you call type.get method, the mm-hmm. non-plural guy, we actually lazily populate the cache instead of egregiously. So that's that's one of the key things. And you will see you know a performance increase based on that. Oh, okay. but this has got less to do with, with managed frameworks being faster, more to do with the fact that you wrote a better version of the reflector. Basically. Uh, you, you, you'll see... You'll see if you weren't use, if you're using the non-plural guide, then you'll see some speed up. Just by moving to two two o, you'll just see it there. Okay. If you're using the plural guy, uh, because we lazily populate the cache, we're taking a lock in. I think when we actually go to populate it, so there is a slight uh, performance decrease on the you know the, the plural guys, but not nothing significant to worry about. Um, so in general, I think it's a great kind of. Um, thing that we went and did. Now, this is where the token handle resolution stuff comes into play. Um, you can now actually control the cache policy yourself using the token handle resolution APIs. Um, so the way the cache works now in 2.0 is that if you hold on to a member info, uh, then we keep the cache alive for you. So if it's populated with 10 members uh, on your type cache and you're holding one of those members, then that cache sticks around. Uh, of course, sometimes you don't want to want to do that, right? You want to say, "Look, I want to keep a hold of that the identity of that member, you know, yeah. a strong identity to that member, but I don't want to pay the cost of the cash. I want the the cash to disappear." So what you can now do is say, "From that member info, please give me the handle, the runtime handle that uniquely specifies what that member is, and that handle is like a little lightweight struct that sits on the stack. Uh, it's, it's nothing." Okay. And you can grab that handle and then drop your member info mm-hmm. and basically drop all mm-hmm. your member infos and, of course, the cache goes away. Now, as soon as you need that member info back, you can say, I've got the handle, pass it to an API, and it will resolve that handle to a member info. And mm-hmm. it does it, at worst, uh, twice as fast wow. as pulling the get method and passing in a string API. Very cool. You get you know, a ton of benefit there. Uh, so you're able to build these kind of really nice reflection caches using these handles and yeah. control the whole thing yourself. And to the to the to the programmer, this just means faster reflection. Right. Yeah. I mean, reflection has you know, it has. Yeah, it's been it's a, a been a bad, whipping boy. Yeah. Um, it's bad connotation around a bad stigma. A yeah. Bad for stigma. performance. You know, the yeah. only reason it's been a whipping boy is because people love it so much. How would you live <laughs> without it? I know it's true. And that brings me to another question: Are you guys going to hire Lutz Rotor 
Come on, man. Uh, he <laughs> actually works at Microsoft. He yeah, does? he works at Microsoft. He does, he's actually since... the floor above us. So since, I see wow. him around the campus every now and again. And, and, you know, he comes and tells us, hey, guys, you suck at doing this in reflection. <laughs> I mean, he, he has literally cooked up a presentation, walked down and said, you know, this is how it should go. Now, for those who don't know, Lutz wrote it, wrote the very awesome and well-received Reflector, which is a, a critical tool for programming.net. It's a it's a hypertext-based decompiler, you know? Yep. An object no, browser. Yeah, very cool. cool. Well, anyway, uh, did, I, did I miss something? When did he come to work at Microsoft, or has he worked there from the beginning? Oh, he's, he's worked for Microsoft for a while. Mm. And not to give anything away, but uh, the thing he's working on will be talked about at the PDC. Yeah. Ah. Neat. So, Fabulous. Uh, on to the PDC, and I don't know if he's going. Yeah, yeah well, it's sold out now. You know, he's a very modest guy. I don't know. I, maybe you have a different working relationship with him, but I asked him to be on .NET Rocks a long time ago, and you know what his answer is, was essentially, why would anybody want to listen to what I have to say? I'm like, what are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> yeah. You know, he, you know in, in that respect, he reminds me of Raymond Chin. Do you know, you know Raymond? He writes uh, yes. a blog, Old Things New, on, uh, got, on, on uh, MSDN blog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he says the same thing when he when we asked to interview him for some you know, MSDN things or whatever. <laughs> so what Amazing! Are you, what are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the so reflection very fast in two point It's funny though, and and as I said about the bad stigma thing, this is all attributed to to Brad Abrams' work. He was the original owner of Reflection. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to claim too much of that. <laughs> Brad, you were owner man. for a while and then uh, left. <laughs> So all the good stuff you like, I did that, and then uh, when I moved to the, oh, the framework best. team, that's when the other stuff got done. So, so Brad, I, I want to speak on behalf of all my listeners. Yeah. You rock, man. Oh, thank you. You rock. It's a funny story, actually, on the, the whole Brad, Brad A. Rocks thing. Uh, we did a recent Channel 9 video uh-huh. where like, these guys come into our offices and talk about what kind of PDC content we're going to be delivering. Uh-huh. And um, me, me and Joe Duffy, who was another program manager on the, on the CLR team, we were conspiring to go and build these, like, uh, create these T-shirts that said, I love Brad A. and had a picture of Brad A. on them. <laughs> and we're going to get everyone that was in the video to wear these T-shirts and course, then we went, that's ah, pretty crazy stuff. Maybe you should turn it down a bit. It went to a poster, then it went down to a mug, and in the end, we kind of ran out of time, which is a uh, bit of a shame, but yeah, it would have been cool. Wow. I mean, that's how much we love the guy, right? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so the second thing on your favorite favorites list for the CLR 2.0 is? Uh, relaxed delegates. Relaxed delegates. Yeah. Relaxed. I, I Sounds think delegates are way like... too tense in .NET Framework 1. <laughs> yeah. I think. The shiatsu delegates. Yeah, <laughs> relaxed delegates. So, okay, so what, is, what does relaxed delegates mean? Um, and I guess the easiest kind of way, if you're, if you're a languages geek, then it's co and contravariant support for delegates. Um, so what does this mean to kind of everyone else? Well, if you're in C-sharp, you probably will never, you'll never see it. Because um, C-sharp people are just not that relaxed. Right, yeah. You're going to need that's... digital preparation H, I think, based on what you said there. <laughs> Colon what? What did you say? Colon what? Colon what? Yeah, what, what, how did you define that? 
So it's um, covariant and contravariant. Oh, I th- I'm sorry. So okay. covariant on the return and contravariant on the parameters, okay. which means that um, it used to be the case that delegates were very kind of you know, tense, as little Brad likes to say. You could only um, pass in parameters that ma- matched the type of the parameter as defined on the delegate, and the return type had to match as well. But now you can actually say, well, uh, what I want to do is I want to have a delegate that takes object, and I can pass in string. So that's that's pretty much it. And you're thinking, well, okay, whatever, man. But yeah, this is actually a really important feature for um, languages, especially dynamic languages, where there is no real type. And so if, like under the hood, there is really no type. Wait a minute. Can I, can I do that now? Can I define a delegate in... And specify the uh, uh, the signature as you just did. What, what's uh, yep, you can. Yep, absolutely. I mean, that's that's normal delegates. Um, but what you can't do is actually pass in different parameters to that delegate. You have to pa- pass in uh, parameters that match the delegate type. Oh, oh, right, right. Oh, okay. And so now one of the delegate. One of the data types you're saying now can be object, or is that what? Well, you... what you can do is um, is create a delegate that is typed as you know, say, delegate foo delegate that takes object O, and now when I when I go to actually call that delegate and um, you know oh, call that delegate that's attached to a method, the method can actually take something different. It can take a string or whatever, right? Well, because so the, me- the method signature can have a string or maybe, you know, foo, foo class or something like that. And the binding will, will happen. It'll, you know, totally, totally bind, no problem. And you get the kind of the contravariant support when you pass in these objects. It just kind of works, uh, whereas before it didn't. It strikes me that this is going to benefit new languages coming to the CLR. L- give a little right. looser coupling. You're not going to have to have all these type structures pushed across exactly. first. So the delegate no longer has to re- like strictly match the method that the delegate's pointing at. Um, Does that also is- introduce um, uh, potentials for having runtime errors when you don't throw types that are that are uh, you know your code is expecting? Well, the, the, the actual matching, when you go to create the delegate, um, the, the kind of the, the hard thing to wrap your head around here is that the typical way that you, you go and create a delegate in C-sharp isn't the kind of thing that I'm talking about in here. We've actually got um, delegate.createDelegate APIs, and okay. uh, we call them kind of late-bound delegates. And they're the new APIs that go and do the co and contravariance support. Um, so as I said, this is not really mainstream kind of support, so you probably won't you won't see it in C sharp, um, right? Yet, yet. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping they do it further on. But um, the the point is that what this does is open up a whole new channel for different types of languages that right. aren't so strongly or statically typed to I be able it. to party in our in our type system. So, and of course, take for example yeah. Python. Um, we have a Python compiler. Yeah, I was thinking Perl, but same difference. Right, exactly. Right. So Python, everything's kind of typed as object underneath the hood. And, you know, you can create these methods. Uh, what is it? Def and then space and then your method name and then you, you know, bracket A comma B. Yeah. Okay, well, there's no types on A comma B. So how do yeah. I, how do mm-hmm. I you know, point a delegate at that thing? And, uh, you know, actually underneath the hood, they're typed as object. And what you can do now is take a static delegate and kind of that isn't... Um, 
type like that and just point it to that method and then away it goes. Now, I, I hate to think what happens when you introduce generics into that mix. Can you make yeah. a, a delegate with a generic type? <laughs> we do have um, <laughs> generic delegates. Uh, but yeah, the, the Cohen contravariance support in that... Um, Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, That's a mind blower right there. Right, yeah. <laughs> no! It's too early in the morning. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> that would be an indirected indirection indirected. <laughs> but yeah, they're my two favorite features. Okay, how about you, uh, Brad? What are your two favorite features? Well, you know, I could talk about generics or edit and continue, I mean, but these are kind of huge, big features we added. But actually, my favorite feature was, uh, was a uh, method on string. String.contains, my favorite feature. <laughs> nice. I can't tell you how many times in 1011 I've written, if yeah. s dot, uh, index of blah, right. not equal negative one, less than neg- not equal zero, what is it again? Right, yeah. Um, and then go back and look at it. And what are the order of those? Yeah, exactly. What's the order? How does that work? So <laughs> string.contains, I had to... I, I fought for it in yeah. V one and lost, so I had to push for it again in, in V two, and uh, we got it, we got it added. I think I think that uh, it's the unsung hero of uh, of the two O release. Okay, ring dot contains that would be uh, and and so that that's your all right. <laughs> that's my number sorry. one feature, man. <laughs> that's kind I can of talk hard. about collections. I mean, uh, generics and all that fun stuff. You know, I, I have a little, uh, it's not a complaint to you, but I, I have a, one of these weirdnesses that I just got to share with you. Sure. Um, now, you guys obviously probably don't spend much time in the VB world, but in... Right. Uh, one of our main languages. Okay, but I mean, programming VB, it's not like you wake up in the morning and say, hmm, I think I'll design a new CLR process in VB, right? So, in, <laughs> in VB uh, 2003, when you out of the box use it and you create and you have an object type and say it's o as object and you do an o dot and then you tell the sense you only get one member get type mm-hmm. and so if you go into the preferences you know the the tools options and you go to the editor visual basic language there's a checkbox that says hide advanced members yeah <laughs> and uh, apparently in the list of advanced members is two string Okay, apparently two string <laughs> is advanced. Too advanced for and you. And get type therefore is not an not advanced it. member, however. Yes. <laughs> Come that on. That is good feedback. Isn't that great? Feedback. So that's actually you, you can't I don't think you can blame the VB team for that. I think the framework team actually picked which members were advanced or not advanced. Yeah. So. <laughs> you, you guys don't have similar <laughs> restrictions in C sharp, I take it. Yeah. Well, you know, the general features there in C-sharp, I'm almost positive it's just off. Yeah. Off by default. So. That's just a little CLR geeky story of the day. Yep. <laughs> Makes for a good entertaining class. Yep. So one of our listeners fired me a message before we got started here to ask me to ask you. It was Gary, actually, asked about uh, constrained execution regions mm. in CLR 2.0. Yes, it, 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 does, does, I don't know, Gary. Does does he work for a large database software vendor, or um, <laughs> who else would need this? Well, obviously, you know, when I think about this, I think about the fun and games of SQL Server running CLR as well. That, that's exactly. So, uh, I mean, yeah. you know, and and being a platform component, we're all for other uh, large transactional systems like that. 
Um, but that's what that feature is for. I mean, literally, it, it is for processes that absolutely have to stay running. You know, even if you yank out one of the processors on the motherboard, it's got to keep things got to yeah. keep running. Um, so it's a it's a it's very much um, not for your average user. Are you guys but, are you guys uh, involved in the CLR in SQL Server in Yukon at all? Yeah, I mean it's our it's our team that is it's the exact same CLR exact same code base that's in there. So we spend a lot of time with those guys. In fact, you know every day we get these emails about how close we are to shipping and what needs to be done. And uh, it's one of the items on the report is the passing what we call SQL stress. So the SQL team runs just oogobs of complex queries and stuff that exercises the heck out of the CLR, and we have yeah. to pass those tests. So, uh, question about that: Did you guys have to fork any code um, when you move the CLR into Yukon, or do you, or more specifically, did you have to write any specific CLR code for Yukon? Well, there are certainly features that we wouldn't have done had it not been for a desire to get SQL running. Um, I've constrained execution regions is a good example of okay. that. Yeah, lightweight, lightweight code gen. Yes, yeah. uh-huh. we can talk about that too. So there's a bunch of features we did, but being a platform team, we sort of pride ourselves on um, generalizing the feature. So lots of people come up with an ask. Uh, you know, you need to make. SQL Server faster in this way or whatever. Yeah. And we say, okay, now let's generalize that. What's, what's a way we can do that in a way that will be applicable to anybody in your kind of doing the kind of thing that you're doing? And so, no, we don't have like a special if-def running in SQL or anything like that. Um, right, yeah. We have a broad set of features. But I, I do think SQL Server was sort of your first proof that here you are running in a new platform. You're not in the OS anymore. You're running in SQL Server. What's yeah. different? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I suspect there'll be other kind of large vendors of big apps like that, big server-based mm-hmm. apps mm-hmm. that will do the same thing. Okay. And uh, in terms of the uh, of the feature set of, of some of the things that, that uh, other than the constrained memory execution regions are there any other any other things that came out of that yeah do yours joe well i mean the the lightweight cogen was another another big one that they've gone and, and done um it wasn't specifically for yukon but it, it as it turns out in microsoft you you really if you have a 900 pound gorilla asking hey this is a really cool thing we we'd love to go do this it tends to influence the decision as to whether or not these things happen yeah but i think um <laughs> LCG was one of those cases, and uh, I, to be honest, tell them what it is. I don't think they. I don't think. Okay, so lightweight code gen is a new feature in the CLR to go and emit code uh, in memory uh, that is GC reclaimable. So in the past, you had to use reflection emit, and you, you know you you cook up your type, you cook up your method builder, build your method, put that type into an assembly builder and a module builder. So we had to build up. You know, essentially the unit of deployment for the .NET, this big assembly thing, and would be stuck in memory where you'd throw it down on disk. Of uh, course, that would cost a fair bit. Um, not exactly the lightest way to go generate code. So what we did was we created a new method on the reflection emit namespace where you just basically build up a method, uh, put some IL in it, and it returns you back a delegate, and you can from mm. it. You know, invoke that method. Uh, once you're done with it, throw it away. It's nice and quick, nice and fast. Wow, so. that is cool. And to be honest, I actually 
that their usage of LCG has kind of changed a lot lately, and I don't know where they've landed with it. Uh, but I know specifically in the in the like the framework for V2, regex now can use LCG. Uh, so regex in the past you could have you could choose whether or not you wanted to generate code or uh, using reflection emit or actually get it have the regex interpreted. Now you can there's an option on there to go use LCG. So code that writes code and executes it isn't that like one step before the the last thing on the uh, the last thing that happens before the apocalypse? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just when the robots take over, right? Right. Code the right code the right code, and then we're yeah. There's the three code directions there. Yeah, you're right. I love it. I think it's great. It's good stuff. Okay, one last thing. Well, not one last thing, but one last thing that it's on my list of questions anyway, and that is uh, Reg Free Com. Reg Free Com. Are you got? Do you guys touch that technology? You know, we benefit from it in the sense that lots of apps, managed apps, still use COM, and they want to do this kind of click one style deployment, want to do XCOPY style deployment, but they can't because of the COM stuff. Yeah, um, right. But ter- it, and it turns out Red Free COM is actually supported in XP. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can lots of, I think a lot of the usage of Red Free COM are, are actually managed apps. Okay, yeah. So um, what this means for the listener who hadn't, hadn't heard of this before is that now you can do the kind of stuff like uh, install ActiveX controls on the fly without registration, uh, install COM DLLs, DLLs that you wrote in VB6, for example, or C++ or any kind of COM DLLs. Uh, just install them without registering, which is an extra step that admittedly can either sometimes completely go wrong or uh, can cause DLL hell issues. So I think the bigger thing is a security issue around it. It's just not having to step into the registry. Yeah. So, so this uh, this isn't a feature that you guys actively worked on, but you're benefiting from, is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah, it sounds very cool. And this is yeah. Uh, yeah. Any other comments on that? I have none. <laughs> All right. It just works, right? <laughs> IJW. I mean, yeah, that's the idea, right? <laughs> right. It just works. IJW technology. Uh, okay, um, would be screw ups. Oh yeah. <laughs> any did any happen? Hang on, it, 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 <laughs> Carl provoked this one. I think when we're, I met Carl at TechEd 2005 in Florida, and right. I was telling him some war stories and <laughs> having a pretty good laugh with. Uh, I think it was John Bristow. Right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, who's just crossed over, by the way. He's now a blue badge. So uh, America's funniest home videos in bloopers with Whidbey. Yeah. So <laughs> what if, are they? if anyone's used the beta, I think it was beta one or the CTP prior to beta one, uh, when the kind of the first rev of generics came out, um, if you looked underneath the hood when you emitted a generic type, you would see like you know foo. T- so say you declared in C sharp uh, foo bracket t. Uh, so full of T. In under the hood in Ildasm, if you decompiled that thing, it would be the type name would actually be foo bang like a exclamation mark mm-hmm. one, and that's how we define type name arity. So if you had foo of T comma U, then the type name would be foo bang two. So um, those type names were kind of fully ingrained, and and we shipped this thing out, and uh, it was funny. We got a call from the Windows guys, the Windows debugger guys, about oh, maybe three or four months later. Actually, probably more like two or three months later. And they called us up and said, you know, 
the recent integration of the CLR into our branch has totally screwed us. You know, what are you guys doing? And we're like, well, uh, um, you know, you know, what do you mean? Problem? What, what's sorry? What's going on? And uh, so all their tests were broken. As soon as they integrated in this code, the tests just started to break all over the place. So it's like, okay, let's hold a meeting and figure out what what the hell went wrong here. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, going to this meeting and the debugger guys just being so pissed off. They were like, I can't believe you added a bang to the type name. Mm-hmm. We're like, what? What? What are you talking about? So as it turns out, in WinDBG and, and various debuggers, you actually delimit the module using a bang. Like a, oh, <laughs> right. oh, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. So if you wanted to debug any of this stuff and you put in like, oh, I need to look at foo of t, you go foo bang one and it'd think it's a module and oh my God. Module not found. <laughs> right, right. So they as they were pretty pissed off and they're like, who the I hell you know, cooked up this type name grammar? This is crazy. And you know we're all sitting in this in this office, just, well, in the lounge office kind of thing, and we're, we're like looking at each other, going, "Oh man, uh, this is not good." <laughs> so, <laughs> needless to say, like everyone was kind of pointing fingers at each other, and then we learned that okay, best not to point fingers at anyone. And just go, yeah, okay, sorry guys, our bad. We'll, we'll go and fix it. So the next release, we came out with tick. Tick one, so it's foo tick one now. And if you look in beta two and and the latest CDPs, it's the uh, the type name grammar for generics is all all done with ticks. Mm. And uh, yeah, so that was how <laughs> that was kind of the the one that I was closest to anyway. Yeah, I think tick's a way underused character. We should really <laughs> <laughs> make more use. Of tick. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> so it was a way to go breaking the Windows build, huh? I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good. way to win friends and influence people. Exactly. Break the Windows build. What are you guys so going to... That was my biggest one. Brad, do you have a story to add? Yeah, you know, Data Frame 2.0 was so much more... Um, kind of, we were a much bigger team. And it, it's, in, in 1.0, we, we got to do a lot more sort of crazy things uh, because the team was so small and was sort of kind of flying under the radar so much. So... Uh, Mine are all one o one o stories. Those those count. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. So one one I have one one of my favorite ones is I actually got married during the cycle when early early in the process of building one o. So uh, datetime dot parse for a long time. In fact, in the bits we gave out at, at PDC two thousand, if you did datetime dot parse and for the string. You put no. in Brad's wedding date. No. Yeah, I'm so serious. You put in Brad's wedding date. Awesome. It would it would return a new daytime instance for nine twenty two whatever it was. <laughs> whatever it was. Whatever. What is it? It's eight. Oh no, he doesn't remember. I can't remember. Oh <laughs> no, man, it's, it's, it is eight twenty two, but I don't remember the year. Honey, don't listen oh, to Donut Rocks. Camera listening. Camera, let's pick this up. <laughs> Luckily, I don't think she'll listen. So I'll be all good. You're in the doghouse, my friend. <laughs> yes, but anyway, it was all, it was it was very cool. So that was that was fun to be immortalized for a little while. But eventually, somebody caught it, and we had to remove the thing when we got. <laughs> but the the other one, uh, well, another couple we did is um, one of the devs on the on the team. I gave him a, a bug report because some user was doing something that really they shouldn't have been doing. They just you know kind of some pathological case. So uh, I said, look, you should, instead of crashing, throw an exception in this case. Just pick some exception and throw it. And, you know, he kind of complained about it, but he said, okay, fine, I'll go do it. Um, and so I go check and see what he did, and he, he added a new public exception um, and started throwing it, and the exception was the you moron exception. <laughs> System.umoron. 
and he threw this you moron exception. So okay. Very funny. Thank Schmeckle you for doing exception. to the letter what I asked you to do. But let me be more prescriptive. Yeah, maybe not exactly in the spirit of the goal here. Yeah, exactly. It's and great that you can have fun at that level, though, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. so cool. So, guys, what are we going to see at the PDC this year? Oh, all kinds of great stuff. So, um, you see the latest stuff with uh, Vista will be really big. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some good stuff with Office. I don't know if you've seen, we posted some sessions. I'm, I'm pretty excited about the Office stuff. Um, the it's, CLR it's in the office. the office team. So what is the office team doing that involves the CLR team? Oh, they're doing a ton. Um, on the server, they are doing a lot of new... I don't know if you notice this, where this where office tends to, it tends to be doing a lot of investment. So um, the server space with SharePoint and some other related things that we'll talk about the PDC mm-hmm. um, are, are written almost all in managed code. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, front page. Um, and it, it's going to be using some managed code stuff, so that'll be good. Very cool. uh, what else do we have? Oh, the uh, CLR talks, of course. Of course, there's a ton of CLR talks. There's this right. one on writing compilers I hear. Is yeah, I, mean, I heard it's going to be great. Wow, CLR talk <laughs> on writing compilers? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the talk that, doing uh, that me and Joe Duffy are going to do. So. Fabulous. Get Did up there for an hour and, and crap on about how to write a managed code compiler. It's going to be a ton of fun. I'm, you know, I'm well, and I'm, I'm impressed with the fact that languages continue to come to the CLR. It's still oh, yeah. going on. You know, there was this sort of energy at the beginning where, look at all these languages, but only two matter. But we're still <laughs> yep. seeing new languages come to the CLR. You know, that reminds yeah. me, when I first interviewed Scott Hanselman on .NET Rocks, the very first interview, he mentioned that in college, he wrote an operating system in C Sharp. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. As a project. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, I have to do my plug. Um, the I, I'm doing a pre-con uh, a whole day on, how, on building .NET class libraries. Sweet. So I'm taking some training that we do internally that I do for the team, the WinFX teams, you know, the guys building Avalon and Indigo and, and those other technologies, .NET framework, mm-hmm. and, and uh, baking that down into one day, kind of sprucing it up a bit. And uh, given that as a pre-con. Fabulous. So it should be fun. So if you, get to, if you want to come a little bit early to the PDC, you can, you can check that out. So what else is there? There's the Mayone's talk on GC internals. Yep. So if you're into that kind of ref counting versus... Um, yeah, Mayone's the sort of lead dev on it now on the yep. GC. So yep. that's a very deep technical talk. And we've got okay. a couple of concurrency talks, figuring out yep. how to do threading properly. Uh, Joe and, and I guess Jan Gray are doing those. Is there anything new in the uh, asynchronous space in 2.0? Yeah, there's, uh, uh, there's some kind of flushing out the async pattern, and there's a new what we call RAD async pattern, kind of event-based. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's all already synchronized for Windows Forms. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that'll be, that'll be very cool. Very cool. I, by the way, I, I, I sort of think that, uh, and I'm not alone in this, that learning pro- asynchronous programming is going to be a requirement in in the fu- in the very near future, simply because processors have sort of hit an apex of single processor power, and uh, now the the trend is going towards more processors. Yeah, and that means you obviously have to be thinking asynchronously. Yeah, that's that's true. It, 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 um, it, I, in addition, I think that there's some speed ups we're going to get in memory and in um, just 
transistor transition transistor density yeah um and hard disk speed so i you know i don't think that yeah. the you know sometimes i hear people talk about the world falling the world falling you know we have to rewrite all our apps tomorrow to be um yeah, uh, yeah. completely i think which is probably not the case um but yeah, it is okay. true that it'll become increasingly important. It, it is true that you'll have multi-core boxes on your desktop in the not too distant future. Yeah, and and trying to, it, it's you know just a moment's thought will make it clear, make it obvious where you can inc- improve the performance of your apps by doing things asynchronously. All right, so we come to the end of the show, and I have to ask both you guys, and I and I always have to preface this for Microsoft people that excluding Microsoft tools and technologies. <laughs> What's the cool? Because I mean, because that, that's you know you, what you guys talk Too about easy. all the time. What's the coolest thing you've downloaded lately, Joel? Damn it! You know, <laughs> me and Brad prepped for this question, <laughs> but we didn't realize that was a. <laughs> yeah, we didn't realize that was a criteria. <laughs> well, because it's the, an obvious. You know, you guys do a lot of great stuff, but you know, I'm interested in what other people are doing that that's hitting your radar screen. Well, I, I was going to say IE7, but. Now that that's kind of out, that's banned, I would say um, I've been taking a look at, at Skype lately, kind of the Skype API and um, the, the plugins for Skype. There's a new kind of video IM, video for IM plugin for Skype. I mm. think. And, uh, I mean, the, the, the interest for me in that is, of course, that my, you know, most of my family's in Australia, right? So right. Skype right. comes in handy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they only recently upgraded to broadband. Oh, man, that was, that was now it's, now it's actually... <laughs> Smooth sailing for the the Skyping. So, uh, but yeah, I, you know, Skype's kind of old, um, but the the plugins and and kind of the network effect as a result of of their um, kind of add-on API yeah. is is becoming pretty interesting. I mean, I saw that there was a Outlook for Skype, Skype for Outlook or something plugin. Oh, huh. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's the thing is it may have been around for a while, but the product's definitely moving forward. Oh yeah. There's a there's plugins for Skype to Trillion too. Yeah. Exactly. So um, that that's that's the kind of stuff I've been toying with lately. Very cool. How about you, Brad? So I'm going to be a little less creative. So I uh, I just blogged a couple of days ago about uh, a new theme song for Visual Basic. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you want to go to my blog? It's the second one there. Oh no. You're gonna love. <laughs> Joel loves this. I I gotta admit that Joel gave me this new theme song. But it's uh, it's about VB. Do you see it? Hang on, hang on, I'm getting there. Blogs in Messina Comma, Brad A. New VB theme song. Yep. Big Cold Beer, a song about a big cold beer. Oh, this is actually an MP3. Yeah. Yeah. From those fine folks at Foster's. The other you can VB. get it rolling. You can get it Can rolling. I play it? That's a good question. You can get it feeding a fire. A hard-earned thirst needs a big yes, cold right. beer, and the best cold beer is thick, thick bitter. It can come at any time, finishing up chow or showing them how. Matter of fact, I got it now. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yes, Victoria Bitter is the new the new VB. I think it's equally applicable, though. So. There's a couple of Australians on the team on the CLR team, and uh, I think all. Actually, all of them that are Australian, they love that beer. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a cheap, nice, uh, smooth. I, I love it. I, you know, I, I, I grew up with that theme song, right? So, you know, yeah. 
from early on, and um, I think it's I think it's the best kind of marketing there is. Yeah. Where you walk into any TV room and you hear this beer ad playing, and then all of a sudden you 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 mid twenties and you're drinking this stuff like there's no tomorrow. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you're from Australia and you love VB and you're at the PDC, come find the CLR team and we'll buy you a Victoria Bitter. There you go. Yeah, you guys got to stock up on this for the PDC. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Might be a problem. You can't actually buy it over here, Brad, but okay. <laughs> oh, well, we'll do the best we can, or some suitable substitute. <laughs> All right, guys. Listen, it's been a real pleasure having you on. I always love geeking out with the CLR team, and, and uh, you definitely come back sometime soon. Absolutely. Love to hear from you. All right. Thanks a lot. Right. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, on behalf of myself and Richard Campbell, out there in Vancouver, British Columbia, Brad Abrams, Joel Pobar, this is Carl Franklin saying have a great week, and we'll catch you at the PDC. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash d-o-t-n-e-t-r-o-c-k-s. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl Never Sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Yes, I'm a, a toy boy, life is hard.